Praise God. We're going to jump right into the Word today. We have a lot to cover today. Welcome to Crossroads Assemblies of God. We're so, so thrilled that you're here once again. And um, we're going to be continuing with our summer series inspired by A.W. Tozer, The Pursuit of God. And to most people, God is just an inference, not a reality. He is a deduction from evidence which they consider adequate in their life, but it remains, God remains basically unknown to that individual on a personal level. And he must be, they say, he must be real in some sense, um, and so they just go ahead and believe that he is. And for others, they don't even go that far. They, they don't really know him. It is basically, they go as far as hearsay. They have never really bothered to think about God for themselves, but they heard about him from others, and in a way that's good enough, and they have uh, put belief uh, in the back of their mind, way in the back of their mind, along with various odd and ends, things that have to be done, and somewhere in there is God is there too, and so somewhere God is in the mix of their mind or in their creed, but even others, God is an ideal, another name for beauty or goodness, or truth. Now, recently I spoke to a lady, and she was just basically saying, um, I'm a good person, and I do good deeds, and that's basically the most important thing for her. Being a good person, she claims, that's it. Uh, I'm a good person, and, and I believe that she was sincere in it. And, and, I, and I basically startled her when I said, there's a lot of good people going to hell. There's a lot of sincere people who have rejected Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they just reject the truth of it. Being good is never good enough because perfection is a mark that we can never measure up to. Perfection is a mark that we can never measure up to. We talk about that a little bit more. And there's a, there's a, it, her head kind of jolted backwards uh, just a little bit when I said that because maybe that was a little bit too strong or a little bit too forward. Um, some people might even say that's a little bit harsh to, to say someone is going to hell or, or they're sincerely wrong. But we must understand that God is real. God is real. Not just an ideal. It's not just a myth. It's not just a man-made-up uh, thing to create harmony and goodwill on, on earth. He's not just beauty. He's just not goodness, for goodness sake. It's just not the way it works. And so many people are going to hell. We need to understand that, that they will be lost for eternity, forever and ever, because they perceive God to just be some kind of power or non-existent. And they focus on being good, and they focus on their good works, and they miss the Savior in all of it. They miss the Messiah, Jesus, in all of this. So many people see, uh, see him as just a teacher, they, they see him as a rabbi or a friend, but not as the Lord, not as Savior, not as Jesus the Messiah, not as the great healer who's from God and who is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, and he is real. And so many people do not perceive God as God, and he is God. They simply hold on to the ideal that is possible, a concept, an imagination of the mind. Uh, and this notion about God is many, and it varies, but they who hold uh, on to them, one thing is common. They don't seem to know God in a personal experience, in a personal way. The possibility of an intimate acquaintance with Him has not fully entered their mind. They often understand or they often admit the existence of him, but they don't think that he's knowable. They don't think that he's tangible. They, they, seem, they don't realize that, they're, that he can be known like we can know people, like we can know things, like we can know parents, like we can know your friend. Now, to the Christian, they often take this idea uh, in, a, in, a, in a theory in a sense. Because their creed, our creed, so often just requires us to believe in the personality of God. And so often many Christians pray like Luke chapter 11, verse 2, Our Father which art in heaven, 
holy is your name. And with that prayer, it suggests that there's a personal God. And, and it's like you're communicating to God who hears, and this God sees, and this God seems to understand. And, and, and you seem to be communicating with this God. And, and, and I say in theory, because millions of Christians, uh, they don't have that fear of God. They're not really understanding that God is, is, is real to them. Any more real than the non-Christian who prays, if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. You see, that's just a recited, scripted, memorized uh, prayer that very often lacks any kind of substance because there's no depth of understanding that God is real. It's just a prayer. It's a just-in-case type of prayer. Let me pray this just-in-case you're a real God, just in case you're listening, just in case something ought to happen while I'm sleeping, let me just make this prayer to make sure I'm okay and I check this off my box. So many people are going to bed and living their life with this love ideal of God and to be loyal to mere principles than to really know the living God, the real God. God is real, and we can know God. So against all this cloudiness and, and, and confusion and vagueness stands the scriptural doctrine that God is real and can be known in a very personal way. We can experience God. We can know God because God is real. And so I'm calling this message today, Perceiving God. Perceiving God. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We will be in the book of Psalms Chapter 34, verse 8. It's just a brief passage of Scripture. Psalms 34, verse 8. We're going to get a little into certain things today. Um, but it's okay. It's good. It's all good. The Word of God says, Psalms 34, verse 8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. I just want to repeat that first line one more time. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father God, reveal yourself today that we might taste and see and know that you are good, that you are real, that you are not a figment of our imagination made up by mankind, that you do exist, you are real, you have being, and we can know you. Open up our minds, Lord. Open up our eyes. Our eyes, Lord, remove the veil in our hearts so that we can draw near to you and see you in a mighty and a personal and a profound way today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. And you may be seated and continue smiling as you so often do as you're seated. In the allegory of the cave, as presented in the book, uh, Plato's book, The Republic, There's a conversation through uh, Socrates um, with one of his students who paints this picture of reality of what is real versus what is not real. And without going into much detail here this morning regarding it, there's chains wrapped around this individual's neck and these people's neck, and they're inside this uh, cave, and they can only view things a certain way. So we have this image, and I want you to start seeing this image of a cave, and you're in the cave, and there's chains around your neck, you're shackled, you can only turn forward. So you really can't go to the left or to the right. You can't turn around and see what's behind you. And in front of you is a large wall. And behind you is, is, a, is, a, short, is a screen or a shorter wall. And, and even further back is a, is a fire. And between that fire and your back, people are walking and they're carrying objects and they're moving along. And so what happens is that fire projects images on the wall in front of you. So you're looking at the wall in front of you, the large wall, and you see these objects, and you hear these sounds, and these sounds are, are coming from be, are behind you, but you don't perceive it as behind you. you. You see it coming, bouncing off the wall, and so you're seeing the images, and they're bouncing off the wall, and people are holding up all these things, and you're not really fully understanding what you see. But to you, those shadows that you see, those shadows that you're looking at, The wall is actually like speaking to you. Those objects that you see on the wall are actually speaking to you. If that was your reality, you would believe those shadows were real. But those shadows 
those shadows are not a reality of what, the, what those things really are. If you were to be taken out of the cave and going into the light, into the sunlight, out of darkness, into the light, initially this is going to be pain. Your eyes are going to hurt you. It's going to be pain. Your mind's going to hurt you. You're not going to really be able to conceive what, what you're seeing. And you still can't see quite clearly. And your mind is going to have to, and your, and your body's going to have to adjust. Your eyes are going to have to adjust. Uh, but there's going to be pain because you left where you are. But now you're going to start seeing and your mind is going to start acclimating. And you're going to be able to see with clarity. And things are going to be clearer. And your vision is going to be clearer. And the pain is going to start going away. And you're going to see and realize that what you were looking at were only shadows. And now what you're seeing is something more real. Now, if you were ever taken back into that cave, you're going to have a very different perspective. You're going to see that you are now free, and they're now in bondage. You are free, and now they're in shackles. And now when you go back into that cave, once again, there's going to be a different type of pain and a different type of struggle, because now you're going from the light into the darkness. And now your eyes are going to have to adjust once again to what you're looking at. And now the free person, you, see these people in shackles. And your heart's going to go out to them and see the pain and the suffering and the shackles that they're in. And you're going to say, my God, I want to help these people. And so you go on to tell them, hey, there's a better life out here. There's a better world. You're in darkness and this is the light. And I have the light now and I can see with clarity. And you start going through this. And, and you know what? Those people who their reality is only the shadow of things and they're living in darkness, they don't have that same clarity that you now have and they cannot understand it. They cannot perceive it. And in fact, they reject you and they want to kill you if they were able to get loose. And so for years, people debate, what is reality? What is real? How can I know if something is real or not? And Socrates basically said through my Gambino filter is the fear of the unknown is ignorance. Well, the fear of death, fear of the unknown is ignorance. Because we don't really know if something on the other side is actually better than where we are right now or a better place. And so often we are fear-based and fear-driven and fear-moved in our realities of things. But our realities are often built on lies, on not the truth of God's word. And most people, you've heard them say, perception is reality. While most people agree that perception is reality, it's just not true. And just because people say it's true, just because that's their perception of things, doesn't mean it's true. Most people are going to be judged by God. That's a truth. Most people are separated by God. That's a truth. Most people are just wrong. This is the truth. For the Bible says, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road to leads to life. Only a few shall find it. So many of us have fears. Many of us have phobias that stop us uh, from reaching to the stars, reaching for a better life, stop us from stepping out and stepping up and wanting more out of life. Fears and phobias and unrealistic dreams stop us from going forward. They stop us from learning. They stop us from excelling in life. And when it comes to God, there's so many fears. A loving God. And yet there's so many fears. Because our fears are not based on reality. Now some people say, I'm a bad person. I've done much wrong. I've done much evil. I can't measure up. To what God wants. I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. And the truth is, you can't measure up. You're not good enough. That is the reality. We cannot hit that mark of perfection. It's impossible. And so that much is true. You can't measure up. But there's a greater lie. There's greater lies here. You're being told that God will deny you because you're not good enough. That God won't love you. That God's standing over you with a big hammer just waiting for you to fail. And as soon as your head pops up, he hits you over the head and tries to knock you out and pounce you down. Because whatever he wants for you is not, not real. It's not good. This is the big lie from the pit of hell. The, the, the deceiver wants you to view God in such a way that you do not perceive 
that God is real. And this should make you tremble in your heart. Because when you hear these words of truth and you're denying it in your heart while you sit in a church, you have to start trembling in fear. And if not, you need to question why not. Satan wants you to believe that God is not real. Satan wants you to believe that God is a myth, a figment of your imagination, not real. He doesn't want you to know him. He doesn't want you to perceive him. He doesn't want you to search after him. And if you're able to search for him, then he simply wants you to think differently. He wants you to think you're not good enough. See, now you're starting to search, and now he's saying, no, 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 you're not good enough. You're unable to approach him. And he uses that, that, that mindset of being unable to approach God, or I'm not good enough mindset. I've sinned too much. And so once you have this mindset that maybe you're good enough, right? Maybe you are good enough. And so the danger in that mindset, hey, you're good enough, right? First it's not good enough. Now you are good enough. And now he gives you that mindset that you are good enough. So then he starts saying what this lady said. Well, I'm a good person and be a good person. It's all about being a good person and doing good things. And let's just dance around and and sing kumbaya. It's all good. It's all good. Everything's good. That's another lie from the devil when you take your eyes off Jesus Christ. You can never be good enough. You can never be bad enough. You never surprise God where he goes, oops, I didn't see that coming. You cannot measure up. You cannot be perfect. So he sends the perfect one to us, Jesus Christ, who's the Savior of the world. Amen. Thank you. God loves you. God is real. He's approachable. And you can know him. God can be known. God can be known. And God's loving uh, personality, it dominates the Bible. If you read the Bible, it dominates the Bible. God is walking among the trees of the garden and breathing fragrances over every scene that he goes by. God is a living person. He is present. He is speaking. He is pleading. He is loving. He is working. He manifests himself wherever and whenever his people open up and they're receptive to receive his manifestations. He comes and he shows himself. But we need to be receptive. We need to be willing. We need to respond, church. The Bible assumes a self-evident fact that God can be known with at least the same degree of immediacy as knowing any other person or knowing any other thing that you come in contact with. You know this thing. You know this person is real. And so we can come into that with that field of experience, that touch. In other words, we can know God like we know a brother, like we know a father or a sister. We can know God like we know about any other thing in life and items on this planet. We have faculties, eyes, ears, nose, touch, smell. Yeah, some of us smell. Did you know that? It could be good. It could be bad. Some of you stink. No, nah, I'm only kidding. But the thing is, is that you've got to understand we have faculties that we can use. And we can know something about God. And God is real. And these same terms, the same understanding, the same uh, knowledge that expresses God in the Bible is, that is used to, to explain the physical things can also be used to explain spiritual things. But we know the Bible's full of things that are, say, are physical. Oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. Taste and see, the Lord is good. Verse 8 of Psalms 45, all thy, all thy garments smell of myrrh and aloe and cashy out of the ivory palaces. John chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. These are only a few of the countless passages in the Bible. And more important, Scripture points us to God, that God can be known, that God is real, that God is personal, and you can experience God. What does this all mean for us? 
I believe deep within our hearts, built deep into our DNA, we have the means which we can know God. We're designed that way as we know material things by our five senses. We can perceive and apprehend the physical world as well as the spiritual world. And how do we do this? We exercise our faculties given to us by God for that purpose. And so the same way we do it in the physical realm, in, in essence, is the way we do it in the spiritual realm, by means which we can know God and the spiritual world, because we sought believing in the supernatural, the external God, and respond with obedience to the Spirit's urging. The Spirit urges, the Spirit's wooing. And so we can understand the spiritual realm as we respond to that woo. But we know that our spirit initially is asleep, unregenerated, and for every purpose, it's really a dead spirit. So this doesn't make sense. Well, this is a mystery, and this is a miracle of salvation, a mystery and a miracle of the rebirthing process. The saving work of God must be done first in the heart of man, and this also is so often taken for granted. Now, this whole topic can then take us in a very different theological direction and debate and concept, which we're not going to do uh, this morning. But it does drive those questions. How does a dead person think? How can a faithless person think or gain faith if the spirit is dead? Well, it's it's a miracle for sure. It's miraculous for sure. But we know that things happen. And God does things. And when the saving faith, this work is done, our spirit wakens within us and joins with the spirit of God. Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 16 says, The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, and then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. God is wooing his people. God is reaching out to his people. God is giving over and over again experiences to his people. But we reject that experience like Adam and Eve did in the garden. We then distance ourselves from God. And the more we do this, the more we distance ourselves, the more we reject ourselves, the more we harden our hearts and take at these things when he's trying to call us, the harder it is for us to find God and understand God and perceive God. You know, if you're driving your car and you fall asleep, you're almost most certainly going to crash. How many of us are asleep? How many of us have fallen down behind the wheel? And while this is all true, somehow the dead spirit within us awakens and we find God. We accept His Son and we repent for our sins. And when we do this, we have a rebirth, and we call ourselves Christian. And now we have God's Spirit that's alive in us, and our spirit is awakened. And it's a miracle. It's a rebirth taking place. And God's Spirit is constantly communicating with us. And this is a beautiful miracle, and this is a real work of God. God is visiting His people. God is joining together His Spirit with our spirit. God God is moving in the spiritual realm as well as the natural realm. You see, we are body, soul, and spirit. We are body, soul, and spirit. We have material and immaterial parts. So again, this is a much deeper conversation, uh, but it's important for us to understand we are flesh. We are spirit. We are body, soul, and spirit. All right, we need to move on from here. Um, But while God can be known, this is a truth, this is a fact, God can be known. Why do so many of us Christians, why do so many of us Christians know so little about God? And very often I think the answer is is this, because of chronic unbelief, complacency, comfort. We're so busy living, we're so busy doing and doing life that we stop taking time to perceive some of these greater things about God and know God. We spend more time often about our vacation than where we're going to spend eternity. And more time about these other things, about our job and our career and living life, than we do perceiving God and and the spiritual realm and about, about Him. Faith enables our spiritual senses to function. 
And when faith is defective, the result is insensibility and numbness towards spiritual things. We become numb to spiritual things. And I think this is where we find so many Christians numb. And that might be hard to hear, church. But just walk into almost any church these, these days and converse with most, most Christians, and you will see that this is self-evidence. We shy away from the spiritual reality of things that many of our forefathers in the church of old have seen. And most definitely, the apostles saw this. They witnessed it. They experienced it. And we often lack his presence because we don't truly perceive his presence because we so often see it as just an ideal, an idea, a, 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 a myth, not a person, not reality. In many cases, fear of the spiritual limits our walk with God. And you might not fear the spiritual, but maybe you don't believe it exists either, which causes me to question then your Christianity. Or maybe you're just not interested in the spiritual things at all. And then I question, once again, your Christianity or your walk with God. Because God himself is spirit. And he's waiting for us to have a personal relationship with him and to personally respond with him. This this eternal world will come alive to us the moment we reckon upon the reality of of God, and that the spirit's realm is real. Well, God can be known. Do we really know him? Now, we know we can't know him in full, but do we perceive really deep in our hearts that he's real and that he could be known? Do we respond to him like, like, like we're listening to someone's voice? Or do we just cry out to him when we need something? I remember years ago watching the the Dallas Cowboys years ago, and they called this thing a Hail Mary, and they would just zip this ball around 50, 60, 70 yards, and it would hit multiple hands, and they were just hoping it would land in in the right person's hand, and, and it was called a Hail Mary. Do we do that with God? Just throw our prayers up into the sky. Oh, we're in trouble. Throw our prayers up into the sky and try to do anything so that God will manifest himself, that God will pay attention, hoping that he's real, hoping that he will listen to our cries. Only if we can get God's attention, our life would be better and he would respond to us. But I wonder if we really, really in the depths of our heart perceive that he's real or are we just throwing up a Hail Mary in hope? He's just a myth. It's just an idea. Just a hope. Because nothing ever really worked in the past. And so I will say this to you. Once you get what you want, are you going back to living in the natural realm if you did get it? Self-seeking instead of seeking God? The idea of reality. What is reality? And the reality of God has been debated for years. Many philosophers would debate this question. What is real? What can be known? How do you know what is real versus what is a dream? Or what is your imagination? Can anything be truly known? Because the truth is there must be a difference in our, in our mind be, between what we perceive and what we imagine versus what actually is. You see, if there was no you, if there was no mind, no you, no mind, That which is would still exist because it's real. Something is not real just because your mind said it was real. Something is real because it has being in itself. It doesn't depend on the viewer. The observer does not give it validity because they observed it. The viewer is not the one who validates if something is real on this planet. The viewer, you, the viewer, don't make it real. 
It's real. God is real. God is. God always was and always will be. He is real. And even if we cannot perceive it in our mind, He is still real. The reality of God is not based on our perception. It is not based on what we believe. It is not based on what we perceive. The reality of God exists independent of us, independent if we want to accept it or not, independent if we want to sleep at the wheel or not, independent of us at all. It's not predicated on our belief system. It's not predicated on what we know. He is real because He is real. Hallelujah. It's just the way it is. Many idealists, many relativists, um, they, they, they have this thing that nothing can be real outside of the mind. There's no fixed point in the universe which we, which we can measure anything. But we don't make it true and we don't make it false. We don't make it even real because our mind validates it or not. Something has being is real regardless if we perceive it or not. It's just true. And this, is, this can be argued so often by faithless people, the academic world. Let them debate it. Let them debate it. I'm not here today to, to really get into all this philosophy and debate these facts. And you're, you're welcome to study the reality of realities. Or what is real? What, what is fake? You know, do that on your own time in your own church. Your, your own church. I have a long time ago left the park. Uh, and, and, and just, you know, got into the park of God, got in the park of the Holy Scriptures. And the Holy Scriptures is the manuscript for life, what is real. And while the Bible, let's just make this clear, the Bible doesn't explain everything in life. You should know that. It doesn't have every answer to every question in life. So just get past that, all right? For example, what do you mean, Anthony? For example, I'm glad you asked that question. For example, does it tell you how to bake a cake? Does it tell you how to gas up your car? Does it tell you how many bones are in the body? Or what the material was used to build the moon and create the moon? But it does tell you something about God. And it tells you that God's enough. And it tells you that you can know something about the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can be perceived. You can experience Him. You can know Him in a very real and personal way. And when you do that, your life will never be the same. And by the way, I do believe in the academic world. I have an education. I have an education, but you know, it doesn't matter. The academic world, if we're being real, if we're being genuine, if we want to debate these things, uh, we can come to the conclusion that God must be real. There must be a being. There must be someone greater than us. We could not have come from nothingness. There must have been a cause, a power, something greater, something that existed prior to us, something bigger than us. If there's a design, there must be a designer. If you want to have a genuine debate over these things, you must reason of the possibility of God's existence must be real. It's at least the idea has to be real. that it, You cannot disprove God's existence. And so basically you can't say he's not real, he doesn't exist. You cannot say that. And so if you're really being disingenuine, uh, it's a disingenuine argument. Not, it's, it's not academic at all to hold that view that God cannot be real. You cannot disprove God. Okay, wow. I'm going to say wow on behalf of my wife. Usually we're driving in a car and I start doing this and she's like, she goes to sleep. But you know what? I love my wife, but here's, here's why. She doesn't have to get into these philosophical debates on real or not. Because deep within her inner core, she's experienced God in the most powerful way. She knows God is real. Nobody can take that away from her. Because once she felt the presence of God, once she understands the presence of God, once our hand was burnt with the presence of God, and she knows what it smells like, she knows what it feels like, she knows what it tastes like, you cannot shake that faith. That faith is deep-rooted within her. It's deep-rooted within myself. And praise God, I hope it's deep-rooted within yourself. It's something tangible, something you could hold on to. It's real, and you can know God in a mighty way. We can perceive God, and we can know His greatness. He exists. He is great. But sin clouds our understanding. Woo! That's because I just need to take a breath. Oh, God, sin, clouds, 
our understanding. Sin has often clouded the lens of our heart that we cannot see other realities. And so we tend to focus what's right in front of us. What we say is, hey, that's tangible. I can see it. And we can simply just see it. And we so often dismiss the spiritual realm and the reality of the spiritual world. But God's handiwork is not just seen in the physical world, but also seen in the spiritual world. And that world is shining all around us if you opened it up, your eyes, with the spiritual eyes. This world often, it senses often the triumphs. It triumphs. Our senses triumph the spiritual realm. But often only when it comes to God. You notice that? Things of God. Because see, when it comes to the world, when it comes to Satan, when it comes to his domain and his minions, uh, we believe in all the myths. We believe in all the mysteries outside the church and in that spiritual realm, like mummies and aliens and Dracula and all these things. But when it comes to the spiritual realm, when it comes to God, God is real. But when it comes to these things, we debate it. We refute it. We reject it. We despise it. We disbelieve it. We got things backwards. It's backwards. Often the visible world becomes the enemy of the invisible world. The temporal over the external. That's the curse that's inherited by every member of the Adam race. The Adam tragic race. We focus so often on what we see, which is the physical world, the physical realm, and we so often deny the truth of the spiritual world. But then again, only when it comes to the kingdom of God. Because when it comes to Satan and his minions, we seem to be captivated by it, elevated by it. And we elevate it to such high levels in society. We see it all around us. The Harry Potters, the vampires, the werewolf, all the mummy shows that are coming out. Zombies. I mean, it's just crazy. But God in the spiritual realm is real. And at the root of every Christian lies the belief in the invisible. The object of Christian faith is the unseen reality. The unseen reality. Our uncorrected thinking is often influenced by the blindness of our natural hearts. And we tend to draw this contrast between spiritual and real. And it's it's not the right contrast. It's not spiritual versus real. That contrast, you might say, is between real and the imaginary. Or spiritual and the material. Temporal or the external. Or eternal, I should say. But the spiritual versus real? No. That should never happen because the spiritual realm... Israel, and it's not to be debated. It's as real as the natural realm, and those two things should not be debated. And we need to start living in such a way on earth that we understand that both worlds, the physical as well as the spiritual, coexist together. And while we're on earth, it always exists. At the same time, we need to break away from the habit of only seeing and thinking about spiritual things only on a Sunday or only when you need God. We must start shifting our thought process from the seen to the unseen. Because it's in the unseen realm that we find and perceive the reality of God. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says that he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Jesus was on earth. Jesus walked on earth. He was rejected. So then how can we find God or or, or know God? If we don't even believe that he exists, if we can't even see him now in the flesh, if Jesus is no longer walking on the earth in the flesh, how can we see God who is spirit? We must start seeing him in unseen things. We must start seeing him in the spiritual realm with our spiritual eyes. And this is basic to the life of faith in the life of the true believer. And once we get this, once we start understanding this, once we start perceiving this and understanding this, we can rise to unlimited heights 
in the kingdom of God. You believe in God, says our Lord Jesus Christ. Believe also in me. If believing in God is hard, then it must be harder to believe in Jesus. Almost impossible. But those of us who do believe in Jesus Christ must also believe in he who sent him, God. And so our focus, our focus must be of that world, the spiritual world, over the focus of just this world. Philippians 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. Our, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly wait a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious bodies. So our goal in reality is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and our citizenship is in heaven. It's in the spiritual realm. And so that one day we're going to have a glorious body just like him and we will dwell with him in ever in perfect harmony in the spiritual realm to have a perfect relationship we will have a glorified body where there'll be no more pain no more suffering no more dying no more disease no more cancer no more things that will separate us from the love of god and from his presence and this earth and this realm will be burnt up by fire one day and it's going to be gone but what we do for god will last love hope and faith These things will last forever, it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these things is love. So love. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul. And so we recognize that God is real. And that includes the spiritual realm as well as our earthly temporal positions. So we fix our eyes on what is seen, but but on not what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is seen is eternal. 2 Corinthians 4, 18. So we must avoid this danger of, of pushing out this other world, this heavenly world, this, this spiritual world. We, we put it so far into the future. We put it so far into the future that we forget that it even exists. It's not a future thought. It's a present reality. It parallels our physical world, and the doors of these two worlds need to be opened to us in a mighty and a profound way. Hebrews 12, chapter 12, verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion, to heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Millions. To the church of the firstborn, whose name are written in heaven, you have come to God, the judge of all men, the spirit of the righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and, the, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Verse 25, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? Let, that's a lot, and that's wordy, and this is a lot in this message. Hebrews 12 right here is talking about Mount Zion. And they actually contrasted, if you did a study, on Exodus chapter 19 for those who are taking notes, which is another mountain, and that is called Mount Sinai. And this experience at Mount Sinai, we see that predicated before it was the Ten Commandments that happened. That follows, I should say, uh, right before the Ten Commandments. And so the people are, are, are physically faced with realities of God at Mount Sinai. They perceive it, and they perceive God with all their senses. They heard the noise. So they're at Mount Sinai. They heard the noise. They heard the sounds of, of, of the mighty trumpet. They felt it, and they physically uh, felt the thunder and the shake of those sounds. They saw God in the, in the fire and the, and the smoke. And if it was even possible to touch God, if it was even able to go to that mountain, but they weren't, because they would die if they crossed the line and touched that mountain. And so these same realities should be perceived by the soul. And now we view things through Mount Zion. You see, the spiritual realm is real. And the soul, our spiritual soul, has eyes in which we to, to see and ears in which we can hear. But now we need to go from Mount, Zion, uh, Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. See, there there were limitations. Mount Zion, things change. It's the heavenly Jerusalem. So let me contrast this. Mount Sinai was marked by fear and terror. Mount Zion is a place of love and forgiveness. 
Mount Sinai is the desert. Mount Zion is the city of, of the living God. Mount Zion spoke of earthly things, and Mount Zion, heavenly things. And Mount Zion, it looks at Moses, and Moses was the one drawing near to God. But in Mount Zion, it's for the general population. It's for the people to draw near to God. While our usage of spiritual things may be feeble from our lack of use, the life-giving power of the living God can change all that we know as we yield to God's wooing. And one touch of the Master's hand, Jesus Christ, can awaken you and can awaken us and make us capable of hearing and seeing and feeling and discerning and sensing the most quiet sounds and the most gentle voice. But we must believe in the spiritual realm. And so, why are you making such a big deal? Because we do it for salvation and we say we know God and we do it for salvation and we're like, we're saved. We're saved. That's where we end it, though. We're saved, and we're safe, and it's all good. But then we stop wanting the more. We stop wanting the more. We stop desiring God. We stop desiring spiritual giftings and spiritual things. And, 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 and that's a shame. And this is where the church lost its course and lost the direction that it's supposed to be going. We're more. We're, we are body, soul, and spirit. We're just not the flesh. We're just not the body. We're spiritual beings. Now, you are eternal now. You will live forever now. The question you need to ask yourself, where will I spend eternity? And my prayer is for my family and and myself, and and this church, and even for you, is are you hearing the voice of God and the sounds of God like they heard at Mount Sinai while they were unable to approach God there? Now he's approachable. Now we can know God. We can find God. And I'd rather have that Mount Zion experience where he's approachable, and we can draw near to him, and we can embrace him even more. We're invited now to get closer to him. Last week, we tore that veil between us and God. We can see God. We can go towards God. We can be in his presence in the heavenly realm. But I will tell you this. I wish we were in the garden experience. I wish we heard the sounds of the Lord as he was walking in the garden on the cool of the day. This was very personal. This was tangible. This was face to face. This was body, soul, and spirit. This was before sin was prevalent on earth. But sin is prevalent, and sin has come to this earth and this world. And even now, we still limit God in our flesh as well as our spirit because we lack trust, we lack faith. And God still says to us, just like he did in the garden, where are you? Where are you, my child? Our sin still causes us to hide, to run to stop hearing his voice, to stop listening to him and the sounds that God Almighty is making. He's constantly wooing. He's constantly calling out to you. He's constantly reaching out to you. I wonder what those sounds in the garden was like when God came walking. Was it a breeze? Was it thunder? Was it the rejoicing and the celebrating of all the animals? Tweet, 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 tweet. Rawr. All the animals. That's my, that's my wild kingdom sounds. All the animals coming together. And they heard the noise and the congregating of God in one place because they heard God's voice that even the animals showed up and appeared. I wonder what that sounded like. Those sounds need to be heard again. We need to recognize again the presence of God himself when he comes together. We need to recognize God himself when we approach these altars. We need to hear God again when we walk into his sanctuary and enter his presence. You need to hear God again when you wake. When you wake up in the morning, when you go to work, when you live your life. Are you hearing him? Are you seeing him all around you? We need to respond. And so often we stopped responding to his voice and to his sound. Even today, this morning, the presence of God was so strong. And Brother Arthur is trying to get us to go to another level. You can feel it. You can sense it. And so many of us just won't be moved. You can feel it. God wants to do something. He's calling us out for the more. And he's given us even a deeper 
voice for him to hear, a specific voice. And he's saying, where are you, my child? Where are you? And it's not, understand this church, the, the lies from the pit of hell. It's not a rebuke. It's a loving daddy, a loving father calling out to his son and daughter. And when you hear the father's voice, oh, daddy, daddy's home. You start getting excited. You start rejoicing. There's an excitement in the air. Daddy got gifts for us. He loves us. He wants to spend time with us. He wants to adore us. And that's the type of God that we serve. You got to get that. That's the type of God that he is. He is real. He is near. And he wants to be part of our life. Hallelujah. May we once again understand this and experience his presence and sense his presence. May we know and understand his ways in a greater way. Understand that the spiritual realm is real. Just as real as our flesh. Just as real as life itself. We spend so much of our time existing in the physical realm that we close the door so often to the spiritual things that God wants for us. God wants us to be motivated and moved by the Holy Spirit. Oh, church, and especially our youth, don't stop seeking the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Don't, the, the Holy Spirit is real, and He will change your life. We're so guilty of that Spirit being quenched, the Holy Spirit, because we don't perceive it as real, as tangible. We don't want it. And we begin to focus on God. When we do that, and we start recognizing that He is real, the things of the Spirit will start shaping right before our eyes, will start manifesting right before our eyes as we're obedient to Christ and His inward revelation of the Godhead. John chapter 14, verse 21 through 26. He who loves me will be loved by the Father. And I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas of Iscariot, I love when they throw in that thing, just to know it's the other Judas. But Lord, why do you intend to show himself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teachings. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this have I spoken while I was still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. The pure in heart will know God and find God. More and more as we press in to the supernatural, the spiritual realm, our faculties are going to grow sharper and sharper and we're going to become more sure and we're going to become more confident in God. And He will become the great I Am to us. He will become the all in all to us. As we bask in his presence, as we welcome him in our sanctuary and lay out at the altar. Hallelujah. Those who love Jesus will be loved by God. But we also must look to the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the comforter, the paracletos, who's going to come alongside of us, support us, lead us, and guide us into all truth. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's a person, and he dwells in every true believer. And our goal should be to experience God at new levels, to expect it, to want it, desire it, desire more of God, and not just experience his presence. That's good. We want that. We just start to understand that there's more to the spiritual realm. There's things he wants to give us and bless us in the spiritual realm. We need to see and feel God in the natural. But we also need to see and feel God in the supernatural. For the spiritual realm is real. In, 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 closing, in, in, in closing here, the Holy Spirit is real. Give me a few more minutes. The Holy Spirit is real. I wonder how many of us, don't raise your hand, are you truly seeking after the Holy Spirit? Do you truly believe the Holy Spirit is real and for you. How many of you are truly thinking about wanting more of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit? When was the last time you asked yourself, fill me, Lord, give me more of the Spirit? Have you actually asked for more of the Holy Spirit, for more power, 
for more understanding? See, our Heavenly Father wants to give us more. He loves us. So does Jesus. And some say, I want more from God. And some would say, I want more from Jesus. But do we really think and say, I want more of the Holy Spirit? And we often don't, and we often grieve the Holy Spirit. Do we understand the Holy Spirit's power for wisdom, direction, encouragement, witnessing? Do you really understand that God can give a good word through your testimony, through your voice? He can greatly empower you and give you insight. That power comes through the Holy Spirit. Are you seeking more? You say you love God and you follow Christ. But do you hide from his presence? Do you hide from seeking more of the spiritual? Do you hide from his power? Acts 1.8, most people know this. Ye shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. How can we walk on earth? How can we walk in this natural earth and forsake God's power in the spiritual realm? How can we do that, church? Why are we not wanting? Why are we not waiting? Why are we not seeking for more of this power? It's not done. It's not for those apostles back then and it's over. You limit yourself when you think that way. There's more. And God's seeking and saying, I want you to have the more. I want to give you more. I want you to have a deeper walk. So many people are scared to come to the altar. Because that means you've got a problem, possibly. Or that means you need something more from God, right? Well, you do. We all do. We all need more. Pride says you don't. Pride says that you're not a sinner. No, we're all sinners. Saved by grace for those who are saved. Each one of us are sinners. If we claim that that's not true, we lie. So we need to reach out to God. We need more from God. We need to wait on God. We need to actively seek God. And you can receive that power. And let me tell you something. Just another minute here. You, or two or three. You can see in this power that God wants to bless you with more. And you don't even need to come. You don't need to come into this church to receive that power. You can do it in the privacy of your own home. You could do it in the privacy of your car. You could do it at camp. You could do that. You don't need this church to seek God and go further with it. But I often wonder how many of you surrendering to God, if you can't surrender here where everybody is loving God and wanting more from God, if you can't do it in this place, I doubt very much you're doing it at home. I wonder if pride is getting in the way now. Is pride getting in the way at home? I wonder if you're missing out then. Now, are you missing out on it then? Maybe you just need to come to the altar today. Maybe you need to agree and unite with a brother and sister in the Lord. Maybe you simply need to be a gateway and an example to someone else. Because when they see you responding... They say, I can respond too. I can do that too. I believe we need to take steps of faith, stepping out in faith. I believe that's when we receive our miracle. You walk into, towards the Red Sea. You walk into or towards the Jordan. That's when you saw it part. That's when you see the miracle come. It was in your active steps of faith. So often we don't come because of our friends and our family and people looking at us. We don't want to make, be made to look like a fool. Let me tell you, the world already thinks you're a fool for accepting God. So just be fool for Christ and get it out of the way. Seek after his heart. Why would you limit yourself because of your friends in the spiritual realm? Why are you fighting the spiritual realm? Why are you fighting his power? And why I don't want to beg you, church, I do want to encourage you to every day, actively every day, pursue more from God. This is what this, this, this series is about. Each week I'm asking you to step up and step out, get closer to the Lord in our worship, get closer to the world, the, the, not the world, the, the word of God and, and to what he wants from us. Sunday is a time to do this. But you should be doing it all week long. Sunday is a priority where we get, draw closer to God. But it should be a daily walk, church. We are the light. 
We are the reality. We are the truth coming, Jesus' words coming through us. So we are the light going into the darkness. To be the light where there was no light. To walk by faith where there was no faith. To shine our light where it was just darkness. You have to understand, when you go back into darkness, they hate you. You're not their lover. You're not their friend. They want to give you drugs. They want to give you alcohol. They want to make you abuse to you. We're not going to get into whether you can have a sip of alcohol or not. I know people think that way. Just stop. Just let's not go there. See the bigger things that are happening. The world wants you to fail. You are the light. And you are to bring light to a lost and dark world. We are going to have breakthroughs in this church. I believe it. Some of you don't understand that you're a mighty warrior for the Lord. And you're going to do mighty things. I know I see it in my eyes. I look at some people and I'm like, mighty warrior, mighty warrior, mighty warrior, profound discerner, holy, holy, holy. I see this in my eyes. Great fire from heaven, I pray, that's going to come down and rock this church and rock this place. I'm believing that God's going to do the supernatural. I'm believing that God's going to do some amazing things. But I need my church. I need this church to stop believing in the supernatural, to stop fearing it, to start understanding that God wants to bless us and give us the more. Oh, yes, we're from a little town. I get it. I get that we're from a little town. But so was Jesus Christ himself from a small town. And he shocked the world. And the Lord came by humble means. But he had large vision. He had great vision. And he changed the world. He was a world changer. How do we become a world changer? That's on God. How do we get closer to God? That's on us. Hallelujah. Stand with me, church. Stand with me, church. How how do we do this? We only do this through the power of the Holy Spirit, waiting on Him, waiting on His presence, waiting for His power, seeking more of Him. Oh, Jesus. We need to lay down our pride. Ask for God's best. I don't want a little drip of water. I want to be drenched and soaking wet in the Holy Spirit in God's presence.